This is Overture, the Prelude Podcast. Welcome to the Prelude Podcast. My name is Christopher Willis, and I'm a principal security researcher here at Prelude. Hi, I'm Alice Manners. I'm a security engineer at Prelude. So today on the podcast, we have a special guest, Penny, who's our COO of Prelude. Penny, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, sure. Um, Penny Tigley is here. So I'm COO here at Prelude, and I've spent my career in marketing management, doing business development and operations, primarily working in financial services and real estate companies. Um, So as you'll learn through the chat, um, no sort of specific technical background, um, just having had the opportunity to work with different infosec teams and whatnot. So tangential work um, and Prelude is my first uh, exploration into cybersecurity. So uh, as we start off with every podcast with guests on the show, we always want to start off with a few questions uh, just to kind of get the, 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 the juices flowing. What security technology or concept outside of what we're currently doing, do you want to see get better over the next year? So honestly, this is just very personal. Like I would love to learn more. And so it obviously sort of naturally flows into this, but it would be great if there it, folks weren't so dismissive of people trying to enter the space who don't already have like a comp sci background or haven't already tried or done, you know, the home lab setup and, you know, gone above and beyond to learn solo. Um, if, if the industry could be a bit more welcoming to, you know, new folks trying to like just append security to what they're doing or actually enter the space and, you know, actually be at a company that, that does it would be fantastic. Just like personally, I'm trying to learn. Um, so that would be, that'd be great. And I know here we're trying to do some of that and it's part of the original concept of what Prelude was doing, trying to bring folks into cybersecurity and fill the talent demand gap. Um, that is the thing that we absolutely have to do. And I would love to, to see more of. Penny, can you actually talk a little bit about what Prelude was before the the work that we're doing now? Because I, th- I think that's important to this conversation, talking about technical hiring and your experiences, uh, like bringing people in and some of the stories you've told me about how you were like literally helping people who like, in some cases couldn't afford food or something. So I, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I met uh, Spencer Thompson, our founder and CEO, back at the end of 2017 when he started Prelude, and it was the Prelude Institute. And the mission was to solve the issue of not having enough cyber folks to to do all the work that's needed, but also to help people who are underemployed or undereducated um, and give them a pathway into an entry-level role in cybersecurity. And we picked SOC analyst um, after sort of looking at what that role entailed and what the starting knowledge was. And so we thought we could train people in six months of full-time work coursework uh, with lots of hands-on experience to prepare them for that role, even having come off of no technical knowledge prior. So, you know, some of the folks we were working with did everything from manual labor jobs to, you know, driving a bus or, you know, warehouse stocking. And um, we had a couple of folks who had backgrounds as like help desk analysts, um, just to see if there was a, that baseline knowledge um, sort of helped them 
through through our coursework. And so um, I was also part of our litmus test for this. I didn't officially go through the curriculum, but I was sort of the first gut check as our in, you know instructors were writing curriculum to say, could I even understand this? Like, or is there like precursor information that you like, do you just need to explain? And is this exercise doable? And, and so um, I was hoping through that I could learn, but obviously just doing the job of actually running the school and, you know, working with um, employers to then source roles for them, uh, for the students once they graduated, um, you know, I was a little distracted doing the work, but um, that was sort of the initial the goal was to give folks that baseline of knowledge to start in cyber. What, what would you say are some of the, the top lessons learned or big points that you you came out of that process with? I mean, just from the school perspective, obviously, everybody learns very different and like all the tooling we needed. Um, there's such a range and we had so much more we wanted to do. Um pre-COVID hitting, and then us obviously focusing then on the, the tools we're building here. Um, but part of it was like the culmination of the training was a mock SOC. So we were training them to be SOC analysts. So we had, you know, a month of experience using tools like Splunk, for example, and what an alert looks like, and then how you go and use things like Wireshark and what you're researching and, and all that. And um, just just doing training in general, there was a lot of learning there, right? So how you need to present information and the natural things of repetition and giving folks essentially like the bullet points and exercises they needed. Um, but also the, the motivation that people need. So it was part of what we were looking for up front, like why you even wanted to enter the space um, and if you like had that North star and like if true motivation versus just, Oh, this sounds pretty cool. Or, you know, I think I could do it. Um, if you'll sort of work through that learning experience. What did your, like, what was the success rate or, or could you kind of define what success looked like coming out of it? And then what was the success rate out of that, that process? I don't remember our stats exactly. So, um, part of what you were alluding to before was, you know, some of the other support work we were doing with, um, like social service services, for example. So like part of my role was to um, work with like Workforce Innovation Act and, and find grants to give um, folks like living stipends, for example, to go through this full-time program because they couldn't work while, while doing it. Um, and so uh, honestly, everybody um, went through the entire program who didn't otherwise have, I'll say a family emergency or something that otherwise required them to, to work mm -hmm. and, and earn just in a living and whatever else they were sort of doing prior. Um, and then we learned a ton of about what people were able to do at the end. So we we placed some folks in sort of general IT roles, um, placed a few folks in socks. Um, and what's been great is since they graduated, this would have been in October, 2019, we've already seen some of our graduates get promoted or get other jobs. And it's it's been really exciting to see. Um, and yeah, so I think our official numbers were an 83% graduation rate. And again, the, the folks who had to drop were not for lack of, of trying and, and whatnot, but it was sort of that surround support that they needed. Um, and the average salary increase was 165% because folks were either unemployed or just underemployed, like average salary when we, um, were interviewing and accepting folks was like $20,000. And so you know, we found all these people with the ability to do the work and we just, we were going to handhold them through the six month training to 
help get them in the door. So, yeah. Wow. That's substantial. 165% increase. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like people had multiple jobs before and just just like to sustain for their family. And our students were everywhere from, it was like 18 years old to 66 years old. We had such a range and it was just people who wanted to learn and work and, you know, um, it was a, it was a great group of folks that we had. So. Yeah. That, I love that. Cause it really breaks through a lot of the stereotypes. There's definitely, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you've noticed this Penny, it's like white male security engineer, like yep. <laughs> that, that is an archetype. So, yep. so, and all, you know, like 20 to 30 year old. So it's very, it's very good to hear that there were like 60, 60 year old people that were still interested in learning and, and developing in this field. Cause that's very against yeah. the, the archetype. And they have tons of knowledge and experience and like different things. And like, that's part of too, what would be great is if we could appreciate like some of the other knowledge that people bring and not every role is for everybody, obviously, but um, we all have something we could bring to the table. And even like Chris, as you were saying, like you guys are very supportive too of me, as I say, I'm non-technical because I don't speak a certain language essentially um, when I say that, but you know, I've done, yeah, user acceptance testing and I've written business requirements. So I've been like tangential to the work and it's all sort of familiar. Um, but there's a lot that we could do to bring folks into the industry. Yeah, that's a, it's actually a recurring topic here um, with a lot of our guests. We talk a lot about how you like the InfoSec community could learn a lot from adopting processes that already exist in businesses. Um, for example, like AWS, when they were standing up their security processes, they, instead of trying to inject a new one, just incorporated it into their existing ticketing model, which they use for handling all of their mm. normal, normal day-to-day work. And I, I think that's kind of getting a little bit after what you're describing here, which is there's a lot of knowledge out there and InfoSec being so young, we could really as a community learn to be better overall if we just kind of adopt best practices from more refined and more fleshed out sectors of business. Yeah. Yeah. So on this podcast, we're going to talk everything about technical hiring. So we're going to get the lowdown on Penny and her experiences with technical hiring. Uh, We'll go through the prelude technical hiring process and how Alex and myself have gone through that process. Uh, We'll talk about uh, some of the experiences that Alex and myself have had through uh, both being an interviewee and an interviewer. And uh, so uh, this podcast uh, will dive deep into anything and everything technical hiring. So Penny, do you want to first start off and talk about your experience so far in the technical hiring process? Yeah. So I, like I said, so when I introduce myself, I I do this on all calls and I'm sort of coached not to do it, but I I do it deliberately when I say, you know, I'm not technical and it's literally to just sort of set the stage that if you start using technical jargon or you assume I understand certain concepts in like tech or networking or whatever it is, I'm not going to be able to follow you unless you give me the two minute primer on whatever the topic is that you want to discuss. Um, And so I can definitely tell when I'm part of the interview process for technical candidates, um, they assume it's a checkbox or it's just a formality. They have to talk to an operations person, right? Um, 
as, as we go through it. But what we've found, and, and one of the reasons why it's helpful to have me um, speak to candidates is because it starts to proxy out how they would be working with the technical team or partners or customers, for example, just because if you, for example, if you can't explain something simply, then A, you probably don't understand it very well, or B, maybe you're not empathetic to the other person and they don't exactly speak the same language or use exactly the same terms or have the same background as you. And so in order to you know, work with people, you have to be able to adjust, right? And make sure they're following you and you can have a conversation. And so like, that's a big part of why it's helpful to have me um, to talk to folks. Initially, I was um, talking to people very early on in our interview process. And uh, I would sort of tap the rest of the team and say, hey, heads up. These are like a few things that like I didn't get a good understanding of this project when they explained it to me. I didn't feel like they could go deep enough or whatever concept they were talking about. So maybe dig in. And now it's just sort of the the gut check at the end um, just to see if they're sort of hand waving over examples and, and whatnot. And I guess the, the best way I could explain it, I was trying to um, get some good terms on this, but if a technical person is talking to another technical person, when you use a, a word or you bring up a concept, if you use the, the word and use it correctly in a sentence, you'll assume that they know what you're like as the interviewer, if you guys are talking to somebody, it's assumed that they know what they're talking about, right? They, they use it and you just sort of move past it. But I will dig in and I'll ask like, well, what does that very basic term mean? And how do you apply it? And is that like this other thing over here? And like, give me a real world, real world analogy. And, and, and like, that's how I, I sort of go through the experience with them. And so it's really helpful if they sort of stumble or I have to ask them the same thing three times essentially. And they're not getting the fact that I'm not getting them. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a preview to, okay, you can, they seem to only be able to work with people who already know that. Right. And so if we're looking for somebody to do customer success work and sort of train somebody on a new concept or a new tool, like that's not as helpful, right. If you, if you can't sort of adjust to the other person's perspective. Um, and so like, almost just to be like on the nose, I almost want to like flip to another language to like literally give you the experience of like what it's like if somebody's Go just speaking jargon. Like, Anmo Piscati, Medicus Foresca, Comasto, Sorotau, Kitazoka Lavenis, the Burumana Gulapsumasi, right? So, like, literally, like to speak Greek to you, like you're not going to get what I'm saying. Um, and so, some people are also not very good at, um, sort of understanding when the other person is not following. So it's a, it's a big communication um, item too. Um, and so that's where I start to see, and you guys have probably experienced it in work. Like you're all you're super smart. You're working with other smart people, but you know, there's just like a disconnect or you can't quite collaborate on the project or it, I'm sure you have like actual technical examples of this. Um, but it's, we've, I've done now two decades of like this, have had this experience of interviewing people or just working with people or vetting vendors or whatever it is. And so I've sort of fine-tuned my gut sense of people. It's that first impression, right? Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, you know, like I really, we were just like missing each other. Like, it's, and you see it come through later through the work. Um, and so it's just been really helpful for me to try to 
speak to somebody and see if they can adjust and not use their usual jargon. They don't sort of sit back and explain the thing the same way they always have. Um, and also if you can adjust it, like you guys have worked with me, I use analogies a lot because I need some common language, right. Mm -hmm. To interact with you. And so if you can't follow my analogy or at least help me clarify it or refine it and potentially through the conversation, call back to it and, and just help build on it. That also starts to proxy if somebody can learn quickly and if they're curious and like, if you can only think in the way that you're accustomed to thinking again, it affects the work and how you work with other people. So like all these things, like you, Unfortunately, I still have the experience of people, um, you know, showing up to the interview and sort of thinking like, all right, I'll check this box. And it's like, but you're not realizing, A, it's just, it's a waste of your time too, if that's how you approach anything. But it's disrespectful because like we, there's, you should want to explain and be a good steward. Like that's another element, right? Like if you're not the type of person who wants to teach other people, um, that's another element that probably won't work very well on a team, right? Um, either for people you're collaborating with internally or again, customers or other people you have to work with. So they're all like hints of how they would be, somebody would be as a, a teammate. Uh, and so hopefully that was enough rambling to give a sense of, you know, that's what great. I look for. And yeah, yeah like, that, that's great. And I, I like the, your, your, you're talking about like sussing out that stuff. I can recall several times where you're like, I'm pretty sure this person is bullshitting. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> big on this. And, and it's stuff like that. That is very important, especially the, like the customer service side. Cause all our security engineers here are also our customer service. So you can't just yeah. be a good engineer. You have to be able to empathize. You have to be able to communicate with the customer. And that's ultimately what matters. Yeah. Yeah. And speak to them and just, another language or try to explain it in some other way. Um, I learn from like very different, um, very different tools. And I love to just sort of consume random things because it, you know, makes you smarter and expands your thinking. Right. And so I, um, I was listening to Terrence Chow's masterclass. Um, so I was super excited when that came out and math is fun and I, I love all of it. And so, you know, he was explaining like a, a very basic game of essentially like two people picking from the digits one through nine and whoever is like in, in taking turns and whoever gets to 15 first wins. Right. So it, it sounds very simple and, we can all understand that, but you also don't quite know how to play and you might have to wrap your head around it or try it a few times. But then, you know, through the, the masterclass, you sort of show it if you apply it or like set it up in a different way, like a familiar game as in tic-tac-toe, we've all played tic-tac-toe. We know what that is. So if you think of, you know, a three by three box of tic-tac-toe and you arrange all the digits one through nine, in a way that each row and column and diagonal sum to 15, you're just playing tic-tac-toe. So it's just, it's like a slightly different perspective and you don't necessarily have to um, understand the fundamentals of how it all works, but like you can start to engage in it. And it's like, ah, okay, I can play this game with you. And then we can sort of broaden out. But um, people who will do that work to, translate something for you or give it to you and like from a different perspective is really helpful. And I'll say, um, 
like we used to do, we were doing tech talks here at work, right? Where we would just sort of share knowledge. And I mean, I think Alex was on the spot every single time to sort of teach the group about something. And you probably recall every time I have questions, I'm very good at asking questions. Um, and so I, I remember there are times where, you know, you talked about, I think one of them was around like, um, doing like attribution and hashing and like all the different things that like reassigning IPs, like all these things. And I was like, okay, so I don't exactly know all of these, like how it all works, but I likened it to something in the real world. And you being you, of course, were like, oh yeah, actually that does happen with missiles. And like, this happens, like you probably don't remember, but, um, you, and you went on and explained it and then could work with me like through that example, which is super helpful, right? Cause I'm not going to be able to, in two minutes, learn everything there is to know about file hashing and whatnot. But I got the concept enough that we could then talk in a sort of middle ground world. So, yeah. I think that's an important lesson for people in general in, in this InfoSec community to be, be working towards at all times. Because I think something that you probably have also encountered is the, and you've mentioned it earlier, the InfoSec community isn't necessarily meeting people halfway on the, on, when it comes to conversing and sharing language. And I think we as a community could get better by trying to like help the business side more and use more of their verbiage as opposed to, like you were saying, just kind of speak in, speak in our elite speak <laughs> numbers, beep boops. We got to step out <laughs> because of the, there is the basement. Different experience that everybody will bring, right? It's like some of it is process. Some of it is, um, just like risk, like all the operational things around every project or product that we're looking to bring, there's there's other stuff to factor in, and you know that's why we need the whole team to get to participate. So, um, what processes tech, uh, in like technical hiring processes have you seen or been part of in other companies that you thought were very good? Uh, I actually haven't been. Um, so this is my most technical, I guess, uh, work. Otherwise, I've had the opportunity to interview people who I'd be partnering with at other companies. So I guess it's like similar um, just to see if, you know, they understood, like I would always represent the business, what we were looking to do, if they were a good partner to, to bring on to develop whatever the work was. So, so more generically then, like what, inter can you talk about some interviews, like strategies or, or processes that you found very good that aren't technology related that maybe we could learn from and implement? Honestly, I just have conversations with people when the interview feels like question and answer. Um, it's usually very bad. Um, it feels conversational. And I don't, I almost don't even care what topic we dig into. Um, like if we can have a back and forth and somebody can go beyond surface level, like that's just really good. Um, the, the folks who have 20 different topics that they've just learned about and dug into and are happy to give me sort of sound bites on each one um, tend to not do very well because they just have sound bites and they can't explain further. So honestly, it's just digging in or asking follow-up questions, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's, there's a ton more, but yeah. And, and I will say the folks who don't do sort of homework in advance, I, I will say I found a lot of people sort of just blast out their resume or have as many interviews as they can thinking, you know, top of funnel, we'll get them, you know, the best job in the end. I mean, I would just recommend like take a little bit more ownership and go for the jobs you want and like actually look into the company, actually 
look into the people you'd be working with and see if you'd, you'd want to be there um, and just do a little more prep there so that we can, like another common language is if you're talking about our product, oh, I downloaded it, I checked it out and I have some questions and what's your approach on this? And um, that's another common language. Like we can speak if you've read some of our blog posts, for example, I can talk to you about that. People so. tend to forget the fact that if you're not only just interviewing for the for the job, but you're also interviewing that if you want to be there or not. (laughs) And you want to be with people who will challenge you. Otherwise you'll get super bored. um, And you won't be, obviously won't be challenged and the won't won't be work. Won't be interesting. And you know, it's a, it's total mess. So. Yeah. And actually I just thought of a really good example within our company of kind of everything we've been talking about. We have Stefan, uh, so Stefan was an intern for us, and he is a mechanical engineer out of Virginia Tech. And he just kind of on a whim was like, I want to go try and learn cybersecurity. And he applied to our company and he did a phenomenal job picking stuff up. And he had a mechanical engineering background and we actually hired him full time um, yeah. after his internship because he did a great job and he showed that interest and aptitude and he just wanted to get better. So I think that's kind of a good encapsulation of your point, Penny. Yeah. And we had the environment to be willing to teach him, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have to take a shot on somebody who, you know, shows the initiative. So. Absolutely. Um, So I guess we can talk a little bit about how we are doing or how we're approaching technical hiring um, here at Prelude. And I already, we already kind of talked a little bit about Stefan and how he came in as an intern. Um, So we do have our intern program and uh, for our, te- our our interview process, what we're trying to avoid is like a lot of the the downsides of the bigger companies. Like I've interviewed at Amazon and it's seven interviews, each an hour long and two on the phone and then five like with five different people all in the same day. And there's a lot. And then you have uh, others that are like multi-hour in-person interviews. So like our process is a little different. It's uh, usually like a quick 15 minute meet and greet, talk about our company and our mission. And usually that's with like David or, or, or Spencer. And then from there um, we actually do have like one technical interview. Um, Chris, you want to talk about it? Cause you actually got to be sit in on our first actual like tech interview. Yeah. So I mean, I don't want to even necessarily even called an interview because it's not like the interview process that you probably go through a, a you know at a technical company mostly today. I think there is some notion that technical hiring is broken, and and I think that we're trying to kind of get away from it and do something different. And uh, you know our technical uh, sort of way we do the interview is that we kind of set you into a situation where you work with us right so like you're given a task just like you would on a normal day here at the company and we help you work through that task so you know when we went to do the interview for sam bart like that was just that was me it was lewis and bart and it was just like a normal day right he had a task that he wanted to to he needed to accomplish and we were there to help him accomplish that um so it was it's about working with like not just getting an understanding if this person is technical enough to do this job but it's also can i work with this person and can they work with me right like um and getting that feel which 
in a lot of technical interviews, that just doesn't happen. It's like, you know, you get such a wide range, but like, you know, even going through like the, uh, you know, security like boutiques where it's just you're standing at the whiteboard and they're asking you to do binary on a whiteboard. Like, <laughs> I would not uh, get hired cool. there. <laughs> <laughs> like that happens and uh, it's awful. <laughs> um, but uh, we like it's almost like taking all the experiences that we've all had that were like that was awful. I don't want to do that and and making it a better process. So. Yeah, I've uh, I've actually done an interview where you have to prepare several hours of, like ahead of time, and you have to come with a presentation ready, and you have to have like something to talk about and show that you've done like that. I think, in my opinion, that's kind of disrespectful of people's time to a certain extent. Like you're not you're not really paying people to interview for your company, so they're already taking time out of their lives to to interview for your company. And like, like you said earlier, it's about interviewing the company as much as the company is interviewing you. So I, I really like that ours is like, you're going to show up for your, your 70 minutes, 80 minutes, however long it is. And you're working with us to see if we can suss out, like, are you a good partner to work on our team? Um, but we're trying to minimize the amount of time we're taking out of your life. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, even at the end, like we were totally cool with, you know, what Bart had made for his, his, uh, um, uh, his, his interview process to even push that as a community repo thing. So, yeah, yeah, we did. We ended up, yeah, that's pretty cool too. Like we, the, the output of the interview went literally directly to our open source repository and was available to our customer base, which yeah. is like, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like you get to contribute to open source as part of your interview process. So like you're also building your resume a little bit. <laughs> So we, we kind of touched on this area earlier. Maybe this was probably a good area for us to dig on the, the state of technical hiring. Um, so Chris, you said you think it's kind of broken. Um, Penny, I'm actually curious from your outside perspective, um, like what your views on the technical hiring process are and do you, like, do you think it's broken or like, do you think it works? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I can just speak from our my experience here, I think we've gotten to a good place because we balance it, right? It's the co-working session essentially. And then, you know, a few conversations with the team. Um, I'll say when we were doing the Prelude Institute, just seeing what the students went through on the interview process, it did it feel, it felt a lot like tests to them. So as you were describing like whiteboarding and whatnot. And so when we were sort of running through that experience and, and doing interviewing for them, I just remember thinking, I guess this is the best way that they can see if somebody has hands-on experience, if they can explain something or, you know, answer a question on the fly. Um, but yeah, that's not, that's obviously not the ideal. Cause especially if you can simply, you know, answer the question doesn't necessarily mean you can apply the knowledge. That's why I love what you guys do with the co-working session or what I try to do through just conversation and explaining something if we can, if we can get there, but I, I, I like where we're going with it. So. Yeah. Uh, well, and one of the other things about, I like about our, our company in general is we iterate a lot on stuff. Like nobody's afraid to say things are broken and that we need to <laughs> adjust them. Uh, so yeah, it's taken us time. Like we didn't start with this process by any means, but it definitely has evolved to this and it's been working for us and it's been like, we've had good feedback on it so far. Yeah. 
I feel like we've taken out all like a lot of the things, the pain points of technical hiring. We've taken that out and extracted it and said, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Like no one wants to go up on a whiteboard and like like in front of people and do things like you're always going to forget things. And yeah, it's it's a nerve wracking experience for the person doing it. But then also for the person who's just sitting there, like who's <laughs> watching that person, they've gone through it before and they know. And there's like, this is awful. And <laughs> it's I also like, it. <laughs> it, it's totally unrealistic. Like yeah. how, like, I, I really don't like the interviews where they make you memorize stuff. Like that's uh, just yeah. not realistic. The, like, the green I, like, coding handbook or the, 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 what was it? The the coding hiring handbook or whatever that's green. Everybody knows what that is. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. Oh, you've never seen it? No. Uh, it's literally, it's, it's like it's like a 600 page, 700 page book. And it's nothing about, like all it is, is it's hiring questions from Apple, Google, Amazon, Apple, and then doing all the rememorization of all the algorithms, algorithms that you need to know, all the like technical questions that they'll ask you. And it's basically just doing like the the hiring process so that you can remember it. So that when you go into the hiring, you can just kind of just like go for it. <laughs> it's where really what they need to be testing is if you assuming you have that knowledge, how do you apply it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's what, yeah. Or all the leak code stuff that people do. Like if you go on Reddit and like you go to like CS um, hiring, uh, like the amount of people that just hate leak code because that's the only way that they feel that they can get into the fang type environment and it's just awful it's like there's there's way better things that you could be doing and there's like go do projects right like if 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 you want if Mm -hmm. you want to show something on your resume you don't have something you're just coming out of college you're in college right now like go do like projects right go do personal projects and go have fun doing that and that should be enough to apply to the jobs that you want to get into and do those things. You shouldn't be going through leak code and hoping that you remember like uh, Kirkland's law and stuff like that so that you can get a you can get an, a, you know, further into the interview process. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I'm interested, Chris, what else do you think? like is broken about the technical hiring process we've already talked a little bit about the like rote memorization as opposed to implementation and practical application of knowledge so one thing that you know we do here that that i i personally haven't you know gone through my process of doing quite a few interviews from different sections is actually like going through that process of working with other people like nobody does that (laughs) Um, if, if you like, like we, we have the situation where like you can work with somebody and you can understand, like, am I going to be able to work with this person? Right? Like no one's going to have all the answers. Right. And so like, uh, uh, is this a good fit to be able to work with this person and vice versa? Like, can they work with me and, uh, can we accomplish a job that's not necessarily done in technical hiring today? And what ends up happening is that there's so much silization that happens in tech uh, where you end up working a lot by yourself and where you communicate is like on Slack or on, you know, whatever messaging site and then like your code commits and that's it. <laughs> um, and so it, it, it tends to be this silent situation. And that's why you get like in these big fan companies, a lot of silization like 
this team works only with this team. Um, One of the things we do here a lot, uh, Petty, I don't even, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but we do what we call pair programming. Um, so if, if somebody's working a problem and they're like either stuck or they're just like not sure what they want to do, uh, we'll, we'll partner up with somebody. Uh, and it might even be like somebody from platform with somebody from security and we'll partner mm. together and then we'll work on the problem together and collaborate on the code. And we find that actually tends to like suss out instead of having to do a bunch of iterations on a c- single set of code, it helps you like get a much better implementation first and then you can iterate off of that later. Uh, and that that kind of goes back to the philosophy of our hiring process is kind of driven by that that way that we do prepare programming and, and partner workflows. That's great. Um, Penny, I actually have a question for you. So um, what, like, what are the differences in how we are approaching hiring the like technical side people and how we're approaching hiring the business side people or are there differences? I'm trying to think if there are, um, I guess one of the things big picture for me is of course we look for what you've done before, but it's really hiring for potential. So what you'll be doing here and how you approach things. And if you are ever curious and constantly learning and like all the things we were talking about of if you can collaborate and communicate and all of that. Um, so it's more, you know, for the person who like what they will do and um, and then otherwise, it's really just those the same things. If you're a quick learner and um, if you can adapt and, you know, communicate and listen and, you know, work with with different folks and and challenge things in a constructive way, you know, and, and bring some of your other knowledge. So I guess not it's not so different um, in the same way that you you do some co-working sessions. We'll we'll work through a, a project, for example, Um for in marketing or, or something else that we're doing, even if it's just to, to talk about how you would communicate something or um, target a specific audience or whatnot. So we, we try to do a similar uh, exercise on, on our on other roles. That makes sense. I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that also kind of alludes to the, I guess the greater thing that we talked about last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago with Robin, which is when you're, when you're hiring people, there's kind of like independent of industry, there are some baseline character traits that you're looking for. Um, and it, it, the, if the process yeah. is targeting those traits as opposed to like a certain skill set in this particular industry, it kind of makes sense that they would align. And if it just feels natural, right, to the whole, it shouldn't feel like this choppy interview process where now I talk to the next person and there's this Q&A session. If, if you're just sort of having ideas after the session too and you're curious and you just want to keep chatting, it, like that, that's just the best preview we have. Cool. Uh, I think we're getting close to the hour, Mark. So, Chris, do you want to take us out with the final question? Yeah. So Penny, what security resource in the past year has really been, you found really helpful? So I use uh, Google basically a lot. So I (laughs) I have the benefit of of our team, obviously. Like you guys help curate things for me. Um, And I, you know, follow certain people like Jen Easterly at at CISA and whatnot, right? So I'm 
known entities who I can trust, you know, what they're putting out there just to have a general sense. But what I try to do is I I'll take whatever article and then I'll just Google from there. Like if I don't know a term or whatever it is. Um, and what's nice is now things are more familiar to me. So like you start to realize how you, um, or at least I've gotten like a baseline knowledge uh, of different topics. Um, and so now I just, it's, it's, I'm just literally Googling constantly. Um, and I'll say, I have the benefit of this team, like both of you in particular, if I ask a question, you won't just sort of give me a hand wavy or assuming I won't know the answer type of response of like, oh, I'm not even going to bother trying to explain it, but like you will give me other resources, which is really helpful. Of course, on YouTube, there's tons of things, um, that I can, I can pull up. Um, there's one, like a, a geek, like learning thing and like a CS, uh, curriculum too, that I've been following, but more for like baseline comp sci stuff. Um, yeah. So I just try to consume in general. Google is my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> this goes back to that. What I was saying about interviews, Penny, like if I didn't have access to Google and Stack Overflow, like I probably wouldn't be able to do my job nearly as effectively. <laughs> work is like an open book test. Like you, yes, you yeah. don't have to memorize, right? Like, and know how to, like, once you do find a resource, how to gauge, okay, so is this a good one for me or not? Or where do I keep digging and whatnot? And so that's the, that's what I've refined a little bit. Yeah. And actually kind of reminds me of a meme or it's where uh, somebody was asking like, why would I bother hiring a programmer when they're just copying off Stack Overflow anyways? It's like you're hiring because they know which code to copy yeah. off of Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just need that keyboard that's just the copy and paste. That's it. <laughs> Key keyboard. Oh, man. No, but it's been great. Like working with you guys, the rest of the team, um, there are tons of learning here. So for just anybody anywhere, if you're trying to learn and, and get into the space, like find people who want to teach you um, and create just like a good culture and atmosphere. There, there are good folks out there. So um, so like that, that's the best thing. And um, I, I have this favorite quote, which I'll share because I just absolutely love it. And it's indicative of the type of culture where at least I'm trying to help build here um, as we bring in different people um, and different learning and try to make something um, that will have real impact. And I don't exactly know who first said it. I got it off Gabriel Cartier's profile, um, and, but Google attributes it to Mitch Grigo. And so it's when life gives you lemons, make orange juice and leave the world wondering how you did it. Ooh. So those are the people that I want to work with is... Those. That's a great quote. Yeah, I've never heard yeah. that before. <laughs> yeah. So. so this concludes this week's episode of Overture, the Prelude podcast. We'll be back this week on Friday for another episode. Overture is on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like this podcast, please consider giving us a like and subscribe. We'll be back this week. Till then, Prelude out. <laughs>